0: As I write this intro for this podcast, I'm doing a cord cutting ritual between myself and the church. I have one black and one white candle tied together, standing in the middle of my great grandmother's cast iron frying pan that I use for my cauldron. It's the morning after the blue supermoon in Pisces, and I am letting go. I am letting it all go. I am letting go of the trauma that I experienced. Growing up in a fundamentalist high control religion, I'm letting go of the painful experiences that I encountered as a clergy person in the mainline institution into which I was ordained, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, the ELCA. I am letting go of the nasty church ladies and the mediocre white men who saw me as a threat to their perfect institution and their comfortable bigotry, to which they held onto with white knuckles. I released the lies of the pastors and the bishops that claimed that my voice was needed in the institution, but then offered me up again and again as some sort of sacrificial lamb to test the temperature for change within the institution. I released fear, all the fear of hell and my fear of being left behind after the rapture and the nighttime panic attacks I had well into my 40s And long after, I stopped believing in the God that had been the overlord of the Panopticon that supposedly knew my every thought and my very heart. And now I'm taking back. I am taking back power. I call it all back. As I reclaim my inherent holiness and goodness that didn't disappear because some mythical woman had a conversation with a mythical snake in a mythical garden because she wanted to know the difference between good and evil. And so now with all of that, as I look back on all of those years of fear and suffering and trauma, I'm reaching out to the iterations of me that had no idea what to do. So to the five-year-old me that knew nothing but fear in her body and soul, baby girl, you are safe. We are safe. We are okay. We are more than okay. And to the 10-year-old me who was told that I asked too many questions, we are asking new questions now. Different questions that may never be answered, but now we know there's no shame in asking them. And there's also no shame in not knowing the answer. We now know that it took more faith to ask questions than to hide behind dogma and mental gymnastics justifying a false doctrine. To my 12 year old self, who knew nothing but shame in her body, baby, you are perfect. You are perfect just the way you are. You are beautiful and you are strong. Your body is your own and you are in charge of it, nobody else. To the 16-year-old me who heard over and over again that she was rebellious and that rebellion was the, the sin of witchcraft. When your youth group tried to cast a demon out of you, that stuck. That really sucked. But also, now we know they weren't exactly wrong. To the 20-something me who had just begun to really deconstruct my religious trauma and my experiences because I could no longer shove them down. We forgive ourselves for self-medicating with food and with alcohol. We were in no way equipped to deal with or reflect upon our upbringing. We didn't even know how fucked up it was until we were out on our own and we saw that the world wasn't evil or trying to destroy us. But instead, we began to see the wolves and sheep's clothing that use shame and fear and religion to keep us in line. To the 30-something me that tried to be good and jump through all of the hoops that were on fire with the expectations of culture and family to be a good wife and to raise my children to be good Christians while trying to protect those babies from the same bullshit I grew up with. To the 40-something me that believed that I could change the institutional church and the world by introducing them to the brown-skinned Jewish man who was a social and political revolutionary. No one could have talked you out of going to seminary. No one. You thought at that time that becoming a pastor was your life's calling. But now we know that your time in seminary and even your time in the church was not wasted. To the almost 50-year-old me who gave ministry one more try, who went back into that glass house that came down as stones were thrown, we used those stones to create something new, an altar, an altar for the beautiful journey that we are now well into. We used that time after we left the church that we considered to be exile to know and learn that the answers that we sought inside of the church were never going to come. We found freedom. We found peace. We found what it really means to experience grace in our lives because we give it to ourselves. And so now here we are. We made it to the other side. We are no longer a terrified little girl or teenager. We are a powerful woman. We went from being fully and feeling fully shamed to living unabashedly ourselves. We went from desperately hurting to deep healing. We have made the move from anger to love. From confusion to clarity, from Christian to witch, from pastor to high priestess. My name is Reed Stevenson, and you are listening to the Pastor to High Priestess podcast. Hey. All right, friends, I am very excited, and I am going to let Lenny Duncan do the introduction.
1: Hi, well, thank you for having me. My name is Lenny Duncan. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. I am a former ELCA pastor, but, you know, have apparently an indelible mark on my forehead and most likely could get a reference letter from my former bishop, you know what I mean? Talking about my character, that'd be solid. I am a writer, a media producer, and current PhD student at the Graduate Theological Union in the New Religious Movements Department. <laughs> just, I was trying to remember what coded language we use for our Department. It's mostly uh, a study around the history of religion. My studies are uh, focused around uh, 19th century spiritualism, seerism, mysticism, uh, witchcraft, and that sort of thing. Anything in the weird. And my work is a decolonial counter narrative to Western esotericism, but I just call that a people's history of magic. And writing about that from a black. From a black perspective, a black, black peoples of the Americas perspective, which I think is a different perspective too. And yeah, I wrote a few books and shit and people like to have me around. I don't know. You know, sometimes I talk shit on social media. I I don't know. But I'm a person who I guess for a long time was engaged in the thought leader industrial complex and, you know, and was like, okay with it. You know what I mean? And and then a few years ago, during the uprisings got like not okay with it.
0: Thank you. If you wouldn't mind, Lenny, would you uh, talk a little bit about your upbringing? Did you grow up in church? I don't think you did. No, um, I didn't but- grow up in church. Yeah. No.
1: Yeah. So like, and that's not, and that's not to say that like that wasn't part of the culture, right? So I grew up right. in West Philadelphia. My mama, Loretta Mary Bernadette, from Jim Thorpe, PA, married Leonard Duncan and fell in love and moved to West Philadelphia, and my mom at the time had this theory that like now we would look at it and we'd be like, damn, that's a solid, fucking rural, fucking white woman, right? But at the time everyone thought she was crazy. She was like, I'm not gonna raise my two black boys in a white neighborhood, so it's safe for them. So I'll move to a black neighborhood and learn about their culture. Okay.
0: so With my
1: daddy. With my grandpa, with my grandma, of course, in the family home. You know, church was in the culture, right? People were going to the ABC church. My cousin Nicole Duncan Smith is a American Baptist pastor and, in Brooklyn. You know what I mean? At, at Reverend Youngblood's church. I mean, you know, like it's in the blood, it's in the culture, but at my little nuclear family with me, my little brother, my mom, and my dad, hell no, we didn't go to no church. <laughs> like we had like, we had it was it would be like folk. It, it, I mean, the closest you can call it is folk Christianity. Like, okay, like my mama took us to get baptized. I was like six, and Danny was like four. But that's because like someone thought Danny had like the devil in him or something. I don't know. He was just acting out, right? So you just you cast that demon out. Maybe the priest up the street will help. It was not, you know, there was no construct to it. There was candles, there was incense, and there were saints, but you know, for why, for what? And when you ask the for why and the for what, it was often stranger than what the preacher was talking about. But no, I mean, my dad, he thought religion was pretty funny. My mama was a devout folk Catholic, raised by rural folk Catholics, and kind of learned that mountain way of you're like, you know, by the middle of it, you're like, is this Christianity? And it isn't, but (laughs) it's fun to say it is. And, and, and some of that was on my daddy's side, but my daddy was stone cold atheist. So we ain't go to church. You know, he was just like, that shit's not real. I mean, he would say that shit to my grandma all the time. She'd be like, well, when I see you in heaven, he's like, you're not going to see me in heaven. You're going to be in the fucking ground. But, <laughs> like, you know, he was stone cold atheist, you know, and he wasn't mean about it, but he was just, you know, he would just think that shit it was funny. He would just be like, if there was a God, why the fuck everything never happened to black people? Yeah. Right, like you know, he just had like some cold questions. That at the time, as a kid, I would react very Pollyanna to, and be like, "But come on, don't you think there's something greater than that?" And he'd be like, "Greater than what? That fucking cop fucking people up down the street?" Like you know, like he just had a very, he was just very, he he was grounded in the reality that he was in, right, mm-hmm. for better or for worse, you know. Yeah. And so that that sort of permeated the air in my crib too. But yeah, all the cousins and shit. I had an aunt who was like kingdom hall to the end of time like she's like she don't give a fuck she still does kingdom hall shit my cousin kevin does like they they don't give a like they don't they love that shit i don't understand it and i understand it's a whole way of life for some people but like you know like i don't get it right and like that was so like my attitude towards that was sort of like my dad's attitude towards all religion right you know and i mean you know, but I don't understand any any belief system, you know, particularly like I would watch Kingdom Hall sometimes, which is what Jehovah Witnesses call themselves now the Kingdom Hall Witnesses. I watch them cats call whole family members off. For why? For <laughs> K, right? And so like I have a particular, you know, I just watch several cousins be damaged by that stuff and not because anyone was trying to hurt anyone. That's like, that's the insidious thing about, I think, institutional church, particularly in this post-Christian era, is that no one's trying to hurt you. Everything they're trying to offer you is very, is very harmless. Mm -hmm. But it's not. (laughs) It seems very innocuous, but it ain't. And so, like, you know, I, I always tell people this, like, it's okay to, like, come at the institutions, but you got to remember they're chock full of good people. And what you going to do when you run up on them? You really, you, are you built like that? Are you built like that? Are you willing to burn bridges and friendships, never look back? What are you really willing to do? And I'm telling you, I found myself falter. Hmm there's good people chopped up in the meat of those places there's good people ground up into the machine of those places right there there's loving folks in those fucking little desk farms on higgins road you know what i mean like there's loving folks in those fucking cubicles the fuck yeah what am i gonna be matted down so I, when mean, you 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 I, I mean, I have been. I have been several times, but I'm just saying. Like at the end of the day, they're loving, caring, thinking human beings who are just trying to get through and being ground up by the same institution as you. And what we really need to do is have a longer conversation, I think, about the con, the, the very construct itself of Jesus Christ and the church and the so-called apostolic succession and all the things that luther tried to desperately hold on to in any christian faith whatsoever right now it, it can't handle the weight of itself like it, you can't give meaning to the world when the world has no meaning fucking dummies
0: mm-hmm.
1: the, the bottom has fallen out mm-hmm. we'll get into that so anyway no was not raised in the christian home
0: so that's a it, long answer but a great answer and i just i want to say something that impressed me that you just said wow before we move on to my next like i want to talk about you know your time as a pastor but the reminder that the institution is made up of loving people because i think especially you know like as me someone who's left the church you haven't left the church you're still loosely you still have your, you know, your
1: nation credit. They let me preach. I yeah you know, they let me keep my order. I walked out. I walked yeah. out my order. I wrote a fuck you letter and yeah and I kept my credentials because I said, listen, man, that's an indelible mark. I'm like, you know, I didn't get in any trouble. I was just like, well, we'll talk about it. I did get in trouble, though.
0: Yeah, of course you did. But to remember that the, the institution is made up of loving people. And whenever you were talking, it made me think about I recently had lunch with my folks and I grew up fundamentalist Pentecostal. And so having a beer at lunch automatically meant I was an alcoholic. But it's a, like the best intention. So to love someone while they are trying to love you. And from my perspective, I won't say it was your perspective, but from my perspective and my loved ones, it's like, we don't want
1: to see you go to hell.
0: We don't want to see yeah.
1: you burn in hell. So it's yeah. wild. It's wild. Some of the intentions, right? And even That's when you wild. don't even look, progressives who hang out with you, talk with you, do the whole thing with you. I have had people who are loving people in, in in the Evangelical Lutheran Church like atmosphere, right? Really in the most ham-fisted ways try and help me during the uprisings, right? Because they thought I was having a nervous break. Well, of course, everyone, every Black person who's fucking looking outside is having a nervous break right now, champion. Mm-hmm. A lot of other things, right? But at the end of the day, those people were trying to love me. Yeah even though some of the some of the impact was damaging right and mm-hmm. like you know like did, you, these are the times we're in I mean they're terrifying times fucking right
0: Terrifying, fucking they're ter- terrifying. right they're terrifying
1: and you know I think people are trying to be people and it's getting rarer and rarer to get to be a human being mm-hmm. in this world and you know Sometimes we figure it out. Sometimes we don't, but yeah, I mean, it's tough. It's, it's, it's a tough deal. Uh, You know, what, what are we to do with, with all this glut in a lot of ways? I I think the church has a glut of blessings and it just doesn't know what to do with them in some way. Hmm.
0: That makes sense. So talk about the church. Lenny, talk about how you came to be part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America.
1: Oh, yeah. Honestly, it's a good story. This guy, Tim Johansson, who is still a pastor in Havertown, Pennsylvania, fucking killing it over there, you know, at Temple Lutheran Church. I've been there and I don't know, you know, forever forever from a mid-century 1950s, certainly Havertown respectability kind of way. It's like this row where there's a Catholic church and then there's all these giant mainline churches right after it. And so it's like, that's the little church row there in town. And, you know, I was just sort of hanging out and like already helping houseless people and talking to them about the divine and like just doing my own thing. And my man was like, you know, people will pay you for that shit. <laughs> I was like, get out of here. He was like, yeah, man. He's like, did you know that like a lot of the stuff you do is like a profession? And I was like, nah, nah, not me. Like I knew, but he like sort of planted the seed, you know. And I talked to him some more. And you know, the the amazing thing is like when I told him, like, yo, I think I am filling the call ministry i think i do want to help people connect to the divine i think i do want to have this powerful connection right like i i I think i do and i and like i didn't want to do like like i didn't have big dreams like i just like the way homie was doing his like fucking feedings and helping people get sober and like like, helping people in the community, like, figure out their shit and, like, every once in a while mitigating a few racist events and being like, hey, don't do that. Like, I just like how, like, homie moved in society, and you know? I was like, you know, like, that'd be dope. And, you know, I just started going to school and didn't even think about it, finish up my bachelor's. And by the time I had finished my bachelor's, I had been going to Temple Lutheran Church. And, you know, these folks like took a real risk on me. I'd been there about a year. And then the council voted to be like, yeah, we'll we'll send you. And they sent me to seminary, you know. So real grateful for that experience. And, you know, got a scholarship and all that good stuff. And, you know, and if you would ask me, Oh, God, what year was that? 2015. So if you would have asked me, you know, summer 2015 before the, this is before, you know, the, this is before Charleston and all that, right? I would have been like, yeah, everything's great. That was a fucking sweet deal. I think, like, I just watched, like, Nadia's, like, like youth gathering talk. And I was like, I could be in this denomination. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I was just like, I know I exactly
0: what you mean. Because that
1: flip. That's sort I was like, and, you know, and, and I, listen, I mean, I agree with everything that everyone does in the space that I'm in, but you have to credit her with that, right? At the time, she was the most recognizable mm-hmm. Lutheran theologian, whether the Lutheran theologians liked it at the time or not. You know, any of them did. right. Right. But the most recognizable national one and influenced me, right. Influenced me and, you know, and helped me move a little bit closer, even after like, you know, what happens later on, you know what I mean? At mother Emanuel church, I still like, I pushed through it and, and really like, really it's, that's what happens is there's the killing at mother Emanuel church and I get invited. First, I was a fund for leader. And then I got into an argument with another seminarian who was a sheriff about Ferguson. And they're like, said some shit about Black Lives Matter. And I fucking snapped. I don't remember what I said. And I didn't know who the presiding bishop was at the time. So I, like, I didn't, like, it didn't, like, like, you know, you look at some people and you freeze because you recognize who they are and you stop what you're doing. I had none of that shit. So Liz tried to like interrupt me while I was cussing this fucking sheriff out. And I was like, hold on for a second. <laughs> I was like, I'm not done talking. Like, you fucking kidding me right now? And so Liz remembered that, that like I stood up to her. And I'm sorry, because I didn't Bishop Elizabeth Eden. I don't want anyone to think like, I. it's so weird to me as a trans person when people be like, I know I have eternalized patriarchy, but I'm certainly not disrespecting fucking femmes." Yeah. So I just want to say that out loud. I'm not trying to disrespect Elizabeth. I'm just trying to tell you, like, I'm not in that fucking shit no more. And I don't have to fucking give her honorifics if I don't feel like it, particularly with some of the interactions I had with her.
0: Exactly. But, you
1: know, the, you know, but like, you know, the presiding bishop, the presiding bishop, you know, remember me from that interaction. I assumed negatively, but apparently not. And they invited me on to this webcast. So here I am. I have a $100,000 scholarship. It's completely dependent upon me be getting ordained, right? Through yep. the Funds for Leaders. Like they've never come after anyone, but the general vibe is don't get ordained. Fuck around with this money you owe us, right? Like basically you're being recruited for like, we want to get three, four years service out of you at least. And so I'm doing that work my career and like my future seems pretty dependent upon like me, you know, helping the church figure out a few things and then, you know, about me at least at first and then articulating who I am. And then eventually, you know, three, four months later, I'm on this webcast with the presiding Bishop and the vice president. So it's the highest ranking lay person and the highest ranking clergy person. And, they invite me on a webcast with a black judge. This cop I yelled at, like, who's the homie now? I'm sorry I keep saying it like that, but you know, like, (laughs) right, but like, I'm just giving you my perspective at the time. You know what I mean? This sheriff, right? And so if there's a judge there and there's a sheriff there and there's a town, a city manager, because Bill Horn was a city manager, a black city manager, what am I? other than the black fucking crook, right? So this is how I'm introduced to the denomination.
0: Hmm.
1: And so like, do they? I don't think they see that picture, but I know if I say, no, I can't. People are like, oh, you could have said no to that. They'd have been fine. Okay. They'd have been fine. What in my career have been like? Fucking garbage in the fucking wastebasket. Don't front that the ELCA doesn't have a marketing machine that you can either... You can either ride with or you can get out of the way. You got two choices. And as a mission developer, Mm. which is what I wanted to do, that's it. You got you be the bright, shiny thing or you fucking get no money. Make a choice. Make a choice, champion. And it doesn't matter if that's not the intention. God damn it, I get so mad when you talk to the bishops and the people who do the DFs. They're like, well, that's not the intent of the system we set up. Yeah, but that's the impact. So, like, I, I don't really care what you intended at this point. The impact is that everyone feels like they have a three year time bomb and they, other, they better be either the most popular thing in the synod, so that way people just pay for it out of pity, right? Or they are self sufficient, which basically means they have to create a whole second career. And most of those people leave the church because they're like, why am I doing all this shit? Write yeah. books, give it TED Talks run around like a goddamn fool just so 30 people can fucking not show up to dinner church and then right and then I got a bishop up my ass yeah I'm cool I'm cool what is this what is this what is this right and you realize that what you are is the ELCA's blood sacrifice you know what I'm saying for it's misguidance it's that's a hundred percent
0: yeah Yeah. So, so on that note I have some questions i written down, you know, and you've kind of already answered them. Like whenever you talk about the being the blood sacrifice, uh, so going back to Nadia weber someone who was really useful in helping get me ordained because I was the blood sacrifice, I think, for a time in my synod. I mean, that's where you and I met. We met at mission developer training. Right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, she talked about how a good mission developer and a good mission development were like an unplanned pregnancy. Like no one knows they're excited about it, but no one knows what the fuck to do with it. So Uh here you are this bright, shiny thing. And it felt like, at least to me, and I'm wondering what your thoughts are on this. It's like, Oh, here, we're going to do everything to make you successful. We're going to set you up. We're going to do all of this stuff. And it's like, you know, there are strings, but you don't necessarily see them. And, you know, especially like you were talking about, you know, what does it matter getting 30 people to come to dinner church or whatever, but like, I always thought that Anything you did in a mission development was supposed to serve the larger church like people were just supposed to pass through your dinner church until they could go to big kid church where they were supposed to and the institution would be maintained that's my perspective but I want to know what you think do you felt like you were treated like a golden child until you weren't.
1: There was some of that vibe. I kind of knew that. I mean, I'm lucky. I had a lot of older Black women who just pulled me on the side and said, they don't to chew you up and spit you the fuck out. And in particular, I had some elders who were like, and your problem is you think you're smarter than the rest of us, that the exact same thing happened to. And they just let it happen. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, sometimes you have a fuck around era. Sometimes you have a find out era. Right? And so, like, I had a fuck around era in the ALCA. Where I knew, so what happened was, what had happened was.
0: I was about to say that. What had happened was.
1: What had happened was, to me, was at that webcast, was two hours before it. They said, why don't we rehearse a little bit? And no one said anything. There were, like, Black people in the room who were, like, high-ranking members of the ELCA, whatever. In charge of whatever. No one said a fucking word. And we rehearsed what we were going to say. And I was off that whole webcast, not myself, if you look back on it, and not the person that you see everywhere else, because I said, a bunch, I said answers one way during the rehearsal, and then I found a million different ways to say it <laughs> during the cast. And that's why you see other people fumbling throughout it.
0: Because Duncan went off script.
1: Yeah, i went way the fuck off script and so i knew right and they knew too from that moment they're like this motherfucker right we all knew right we all knew that was like my little line in the sand that day and then you didn't have to get public about that you have to tweet you have to be like oh my god they're fucking trying to destroy me they're not trying to destroy me i agree with you that there is sort of like this big kids church mentality but I more think that what we are is we allow the theological construct of the evangelical Lutheran church, which still holds a position that I should die and burn in hell because I'm a black trans person. Because I'm a poly person. I don't deserve to be a member of the church. I don't deserve to be clergy. I don't deserve to preach. I don't deserve the holy sacraments. I don't deserve baptism. I shouldn't have it. That's one of the positions of the evangelical Lutheran church today. They have not changed it. And Kevin Strickland making cute little comments about bound conscience that the goddamn rostered ministers gathering is not going to do it. I'm sorry. I've seen Kevin laugh in rooms when our very lives are on the line because he thought he was cute. I don't want to play with people, but I'm not here to play with people. And, you know, it's cute now that we want to play with this, but people have sat in this position for a decade by the time, you know, but, you know, by the time I left, well over a decade. You're going to, and this idea that it was a big tent church. Mm. What's so infuriating about that was that what that meant was, is I had to sit and constantly, every time I preached, Every time I got on stage, every time I wrote something, every time I did something and defend my existence to someone in the room, Mm. either by my actions, either by the way I carried myself, either, you know, I had to be better at all times, you know? And I did that until I couldn't. Mm. I truly did that until I couldn't. Mm. I nice. But also took no shit along the way, you know, but this idea that, 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 that somehow that's clear liberation, mm. that it's not, <laughs>
0: you mean bound constant, uh,
1: any of it, okay. any of the things that they are allowing within the construct. If you have one-on-one monogamous love within the confines of a state constructs that benefits an income tax bracket, then you are holy, right? It's all a bunch of bullshit, and they know it. And what are they going to do now that Oberfell and every other case is up for grabs? When Oberfell goes, will the church say we were wrong and it wasn't holy? Because the only thing that even pushed them forward was Oberfell. Right. Right. And this is what I mean. This is what I mean. None of this sounds like me using my body for pleasure. None of this sounds like me understanding that God created an incredible body that can do incredible things with incredible people. None of this sounds like trying to find an actual sexual ethic that works, maybe not for everyone, but certainly doesn't, you know, exclude large portions of us. Right. And by sexual ethic, I mean, we need something that also includes ace people right you know like where does this exist and they're not searching for that there's the the last
0: response that they did I don't even remember the name of the document Uh that used to be
1: gift and trust or no the new one
0: the new one Um, I haven't even read that
1: I, 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 I
0: haven't read it it used to be shit what was it I had to read it for ordination
1: oh you're talking about not gift and trust that's the one that was around human sexuality
0: and that was the one there was the boundaries one you had to read about bound conscience i'll figure it out but like the original one that we had to read and it was about your how you kept pure how you know like how you were holy let's just go with that word and i'm making scare quotes how you were holy and then Uh you and then after Oberfell they wrote the new one which was in a lot of ways even more restrictive toward clergy than the original bullshit that we we had to agree on and you were
1: chased before and now you had to be you had to be they moved it from chase to abstinent if you were a single queer person
0: yeah yeah so that is then be made well it's making us wholly for that and I just want to throw in just because we've gone on and I don't want to lose the the flow here but like bound conscience in the ELCA if you are a so the ELCA in 2009 did not settle their question when they settled their question around sexuality they left it up to the congregation so the congregations could vote on whether or not their their chosen clergy leader leaving their congregation could do same gender weddings um right. And if your congregation said, oh, we don't want you to do, or like, we want you to do it. But the clergy person, there was, it didn't go both ways. If the clergy person said, I cannot do that. I am bound by my own conscience, not to marry same gender couples, not to do queer weddings, not to do any of that. My conscience says I don't have to. The thing I always got pissed off about and would bring up in our synod assemblies, three days of nothing, it was to say bound conscience should work both ways. If I am in a congregation that has voted and says, no, you cannot do that. Fuck you. My conscience, my understanding of the divine meant that my conscience, I was bound to do it To I was bound to let people know they were children of God and that they too, if they wanted to benefit from the tax bracket, you know, could also get married. Yeah.
1: I mean, like, my whole thing is that, like, I just did whatever I wanted when I was a clergy person until they couldn't put up with it anymore, because I realized real early on, I was like, they're not watching these white boys. No. Maybe no, <laughs> no. one's watching. Maybe no one's watching me. And I just did, like pretty much what I wanted.
0: Yeah. Well, and then mm, oh, we're not going to get into the Panopticon today.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll let it go.
0: Yeah, we'll let it go. But yeah, we know that if you are white, cis, hetero in the ELCA, you can basically do anything you want, include including sexual misconduct and still pastor, because I can name several off the top of my head. I'm not going to here, but I bet you can as well, friend.
1: Well, th- these poor clergy people have fallen, Reed, and you just need to pray for them. As they work their way back up into God's grace.
0: Yeah. Can I quit a prayer? Can I pray? I'm quite offended.
1: I'm quite offended that you don't believe in grace.
0: (laughs) I believe in grace. I just don't believe in in everybody else's idea of grace. Yeah, neither
1: do I, but that's 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 the kind of answers you would get from them. You know what I mean? You know, so you know, what can you do about it?
0: Do you want to share about when it fell apart for you or do you want to move on?
1: Yeah, no. I mean, for me being in the church, it was uh, during the uprisings. I couldn't, I couldn't, I felt like the system was gaslighting me. And I was watching moms be shot in their face and having clergy people tell me in the ELCA clergy room, you're lying. I was having, I was watching veterans be beat by military and kidnapped. Mm. and being told that wasn't happening. Um, I I watched the sitting president of the United States get tips on what to do to us that evening on Fox and Friends and then try them. Mm -hmm. And I was a chaplain on the ground for the kids who were going through that. And they're not kids. They're my comrades, many of them older than me, but we call ourselves, I call them the kids. And you know, and the kids recognized how I was probably the oldest black trans person on the ground. And that's when it fell apart for me. I had a really nice endowment, a great church that loved me. Honestly, I could have fought my way through a bunch of bullshit and stayed there. And really everything going for me, man. But I couldn't turn away from what I was seeing happening on the streets. And so I stuck with that for about two and a half years, chaplaincy, doing chaplaincy for those folks. And the chaplaincy on the front lines of Black liberation, particularly armed conflict, that tends to get in the way of being a, a pastor. Yeah, And people, you know, and so I just kind of did the obvious. I spent about a year just like, chillin' on the, you know, in-school roster, still an ELCA pastor. And then I, I got, I guess it was like a year after, so it was, you know, three years since the uprisings, leading into Christmas 2022, leading into 2023. And I guess I posted a thing from my research of a woman being tempted by a demon from a German cut and someone, you know, people just watch my social media to report me to my bishop. And so one woman said that I was being anti-woman. And that I was obviously saying that all women were witches. And that's what I was using my platform for. Of course, that's been my message since the beginning. And, right. And, you know, and I I just said to Bishop Jake and God bless him, I love this man. You know, I was just like, dude, you don't want to call me on two days before Christmas about a German woodcut I posted on my Instagram I was like why aren't they calling you about my poly partners or my half-naked pictures or my altars or like any of that stuff I was like what a weird thing to pick out of everything and just you know the whole thing I said you know Bishop I said I think that's it he's like you know no I said something like that and then we kind of laughed and everything got quiet. I said, well, Bishop, I, I think that was it. I think we just heard it. He was like, what? I was like, I think we just heard the sound of me just not really wanting to be a part of a church. That's just damaging too." I was like, I think we just heard the door close, man. And just, you know, he said, I wrote him a letter that, you know, I published later on. And left, you know, with my ordination intact, certainly not in any trouble, nothing going on, just a little wore out. I got less death threats in prison than I got as a pastor. And I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. (laughs) I don't know if that means, like, my time was good, my time was bad. I don't know. But that's what did it for me, you know? It was to watch the whole country just fall apart and to be out there. Like, you know, there was one time I was collecting with my church supplies for migrants because south of here, in a wildfire, migrants couldn't go to the Red Cross and the Rangers because Trump had stationed fucking ice all around them. Yeah. So we were meeting them in fields and giving them supplies in the middle of forest fire and local Proud boys were trying to stop us with roadblocks and M14s. Jesus fuck, wow. Right, this is my ministry at this point and people are like, you seem like you're on drugs or something online. (laughs)
0: I don't mean to laugh, I'm sorry, but like that's fucking hilarious. I'm right? my life is in danger, and you're worried about whether or not I am smoking weed.
1: You seem a little strange. and you know, and I had a lot of, of of interactions like that, you know what I'm saying, and it just got old, it just got old, so like that was my ministry towards you know that and that was when I was still with Jubilee Collective, like I took the Jubilee Collective. In. Oh my God! these people over hear the story? I took the Jubilee Collective van like into that situation and then drove it out like with my little clergy collar on. Like that shit was bulletproof. Like bye bye bye, right? And like you think about like you know and, and in a way it's exactly the kind of story that they would be super horny for Addison and assembly about a mission development. They'd oh, be like, yeah. yeah, they'd be like, oh, there's great work they did. But at the time we were like, you know, all that shit was out the window. I was definitely an enemy of the state, but you know, I, I on a larger macro level, rather than what happened to me, I think we're really victims of the fact that the major denominations invested in a separate research company other than Pew. They've been using them since 2018. And they knew directly from 2019 all the way to 2020, 2021, they knew for a fact that it wasn't just that mainline progressive or liberal or left-leaning churches were losing people they were losing people who were going directly to right-wing churches Mm. they could track the numbers Mm. so a lot of their like we need to hear from all sides stuff was a direct result of that campaign Wow, i can't remember the name of it's the american like religious research institute or something i mean it's easy to find if you just like Look for surveys other than Pew. The most, the only peer-reviewed and solidly regarded one is this one, and it's this new. It's this new research uh, group that's been put together since 2018. The ELCA is involved. The American Baptist Church is involved. You know, like everyone's involved because the, the Pew research is not the kind of, the, not the kind of research that a denomination can use right? But this kind of stuff they're looking into, it's stuff that actually is much more actionable for them. Okay. And so they've known, they've known for a while that reasoning with the, re- reasoning with people, imagine that people who believe in the Bible are hard to reason with.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I have but, learned... With all the deconstructing that I've done, part of what I've had to deconstruct is realizing I grew up in a fucking cult, man. I grew up in a cult. And yeah, I went from the far right, you know, fundamentalist Pentecostal to, you know, the most left-leaning liberal denomination. It's still a cult. Still
1: the the same thing.
0: It's less culty than the cultiest part of the cult, but still a cult. I know that-
1: it, no, you're actually right. Part of my research at GTU, you know, I was lucky enough to sit down with a with a neuroscientist who's actually done like cluster mathematics with some other sociologists and some anthropologists. Where, you know, um, you know, there's certain things we do. One of the things we do once we reach a certain and I think some of his theory falls apart around agriculture, but when we but when we do gather, whoever's closest to the power in charge, when we create societies, they become priests, and everyone mm. else is on the outside. And a great example that's Christianity itself. For two hundred years, it was on the outside, and then the person who came into the power, they were on the inside, and they were the priests,
0: yeah.
1: right? And What's so, the
0: Hebrew cult, the development of the Hebrew cult, and how you know, yeah, I mean two-thirds of the hebrew bible is propaganda for yeah. the power and then being placed in the priesthood yeah my opinion
1: yeah yeah i mean i'm not i'm not i'm not here to defend something that for 20 centuries everyone's been given the pass
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah there you go um so what are you up to now friend what are you doing now like Tell talk
1: to me about your research, you know. Yeah I'm writing poetry. I got a poetry book coming out in January. I am I am currently at the Graduate Theological Union and got like one more semester of coursework and reverse engineering my own comps, right? And just sort of studying Western esotericism with a particular focus on 19th century American, 19th century American um, spiritualism. And taking a look at a character called, taking a good look at a character called Paschal Beverly Randolph. Like called a decolonial counter-narrative to Western esotericism, but it's really just a people's history of magic. Okay. And part of that focus is like, it's assigning to our ancestors the same emotional, social, and uh, uh, theological intelligence we so readily give ourselves. Combined with the ubiquitousness of spiritualism, that was everywhere. I mean, the fact that that everyone was engaged in witchcraft. Not some people were engaged with witchcraft. Even if they were on their way to church, in some way they were engaging in what we would call conjure or hoodoo or root work or witchcraft, or powwow culture, or folk Catholicism, or just the or just the air of the mystique, hoodoo, hoodoo, vodan, mixed poor white culture settler culture with different strains of indigenous culture that had had highly different interactions than we typically want to lift up there's the layers of what the magic of the americas is actually pretty thick and so i'm writing about a magic of the americas and telling the story of esotericism in the americas but i'm telling it from a black black people's of the americas perspective using, you know, several premises that, that, that really, uh, historians, and it's a really interesting time to be a historian, I think. This is really interesting times so where we're asking questions like, what's wrong with history? You know, mm-hmm. something's obviously wrong with the world. What, what's wrong with history, right? You know, I think, uh, an interesting question is what kind of record do we leave for some other beings to find if this is the last generation of humanity?" These are the questions we're asking, right? The questions I'm asking, I think, uh, in particular, is, is there a magic to this land that we can all access? Not in spite of all the wicked things that have happened, but holding that stuff in light, right? Holding that stuff... Like, like knowing that it's there, it's how do I explain that every good thing that's ever happened to me has also happened in the same place that every wicked thing that's ever happened to me. Historically, mm-hmm. literally, you know, I could only exist in this place. Well, there must be some other things that can only exist as a combination of these things. So what is the magic that comes from that? What is the the, the uh, shade that comes from that? Yeah. So
0: that's uh, That lights me up. Like, I cannot wait to read that work because I agree with you. I think the questions that we're asking right now are really important. I think, I I don't know if you feel this or see this but I see people waking up through my research looking at like hashtags on TikTok, women who are deconstructing and it started with like religion, but man, it's everything now. I mean, our place in society as white women, how we have been the oppressor and the oppressed, how we have carried a shit ton of water for the patriarchy and the damage that we've done and then but then also like the I have a friend who calls it unraveling more than deconstruction and so that unraveling you know you pull one thread and it just keeps going and while it is a truly terrifying time to be alive it can also be fucking exciting you know like yeah yeah things are changing yeah
1: well I don't think terror is a bad thing you know I don't say that I think life I think the illusion of safety is I think it's art and magic's job to rip that Band-Aid off. Nothing is safe. And, you know, yeah, I think you're 100% right. I see people waking up left and right. I mean, you know, I spent four days at Holden giving definitions of magic to people. And I talked about sex magic to a bunch of Protestant women. And I told them about how, like, how Paschal Beverly Randolph believed that the reason white men were so wicked is because they couldn't make their women come at the moment of copulation And how he got arrested for that as a esoteric black queer in the 19th century right and to have a bunch of women be like no that's actually that might be true yeah right yeah
0: Yeah. Yeah. right
1: like wild stuff right i'm just like yo i'm just throwing out this weird thing this guy said. i'm not saying this is it right but they're like no that might be it So it's a time where even in spaces you would never expect, people are open. Mm. Right. And part of that is we saw this after the Civil War, which is why I'm so interested in that period. And we saw this rise of people wanting to connect with lost loved ones and lost loves and and benign summerlands versus theological wars and and a more of a land-based like way of life. And I think we'll see more of that because there was a lot of death. Mm -hmm. and you know and then in periods of unrest and lots of death we see the rise of these sort of things
0: yeah yeah I agree I believe that so just now as we're kind of coming to an ending point here is there and like we just talked about what's terrifying and what's exciting and what's you know like coming to light is there any kind of ritual or anything you're doing as simple as like you know writing poetry that you are that's getting you through right now
1: yeah the big thing that happened for me when I the big thing that happened for me when I kind of like lost I couldn't I felt like I couldn't turn to the church anymore is I got lucky and I got connected with my in my ancestral practice and so I got connected to Ifa and found out that I was a child of Oshun and like went about the work to becoming an Oshun priest and, you know, and, and really found Ifa as a, as a way of stabilizing, like, you know, where I was in the world. I turned back to hoodoo and conjure practices and old folk Catholic practices that I had for my family and sort of threw all that in the gumbo. And have been really like, you know, doing, you know, I think in the first year, it was just me strictly following the EFA calendar and just praying to all the Orisha every, you know, on the four day, first on a seven day cycle, then on the traditional four day cycle. And then teaching that to other people and finding like strength in teaching. And because in teaching, I learned so much and ended up being like, you know, all of their students. You know, everyone I interacted with and still interact with to this day around that stuff. And, you know, and just really started opening up to, for me, you know, what I always say is Jesus joined a very full room. Hmm. You know, when the church found me, there was already a lot going on. And Jesus just sort of walked in and was like, What's going on in here? I was like, I don't know, but you sit over there (laughs) while we figure it out. Well, you know, for me, it was an easy transition. I think for other people, it may not be. Right? They, mm-hmm. the, their, their cosmologies may not have been as full as mine.
0: Mm. Yeah. Right.
1: And in particular, you know, I think that's something that African African modalities of reality or ontological constructs offer is non-dualistic, like 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 monistic dualities. We're like, you can be like, yo, this is what the creator did over here. And over on this other side of this mountain, it's fucking crazy. That's how the whole universe was created. It's wild. And they were like, that's weird what the crater did over there. Crater over here did, right? Yeah. And there's no, both can coexist. And it's not, neither is threatened by the other, right? And so this this idea that there is an unseen unity to the universe that's beyond your capacity to ever comprehend. and Some people call that mystery. And then there's the stuff you know and then there's the stuff other people know. Both have merit, both are real, both are powerful.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you, Pat, Lenny, thank you so much for just being open and telling your story and being you. I find you to be someone who is just always honest, always, (sighs) it's gonna sound like, weird but like plugged into like what's happening in you and then happening around you and so that's I'm just grateful for your your time so tell people where they can find you where can they how can they support you where can they find you
1: yeah I got I got a substack called a sorcerer's notebook I'm not cocky it's not the sorcerer's notebook it's a sorcerer's notebook And, and so you can find that I guess I still have my website up, LennyDuncan.com. I don't really do shit on there. I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I'm like, don't find me. But yo, find my new book, Psalms of My People. Here's something you could do for me. If you really want to support my work, you heard you like what you heard, or like you already know the shit I do. Order my new book. It's a poetry book. I mixed in alchemical symbols with ancient, like ancient hip hop techniques of writing sacred scripture with like weird historical stuff. It's got a footnote section that is for the not for the faint of heart. I mean, it's just this opportunity to really talk about like taking James Baldwin's premise about poets, if you know the talk or struggle for the artist and and saying if poets are the only people who truly know who we are, then then what were poets saying when I was like 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 years old? And then like trying to wrestle with some of that stuff, you know? And so it's my first attempt at poetry and like, I hope y'all check it out. So it's songs of my people. It's got art. It's got some incredible icons of Fred Hampton, Mia, Bull Jamal. It's I, I think it's hot. And this week I'll be on Instagram, probably reading some of it,
0: but okay. you'll probably
1: hear this after that, but that's yeah. okay.
0: But it's okay. They can find you. They can find you
1: on Instagram. And, yep. in the and show. I'm Lenny A. Duncan on everything. I I lock that shit down. That's me. I own that. (laughs) Okay,
0: perfect. All right. All right. Well, thank you very much, Lenny. Everyone go check out Lenny Duncan, Lenny A. Duncan, Sorcerer's Notebook on Substack, and then your new book that is coming out. When is it coming out?
1: January. Psalms of My People.
0: Psalms of My People, January 2024. Thanks, Lenny. Thank you for listening to the pastor to high priestess podcast. I want to thank Lenny Duncan for being a conversation partner with me today. And I also want to thank Sandra Porter for sharing her song glass house to be the music uh, for this podcast. If you want to be connected to Sandra or to Lenny, I will have links to their social media on my homepage for this podcast, pastor to high If you have any questions or comments about the podcast, you can email me. You can all so, find a link to do that on the website, pastor to high or email me at pastor to high priestess at gmail.com. And if you liked this podcast, if it resonated with you, would you please tell your friends, would you rate the podcast? Would you leave a review so that other people can, can be part of this conversation? I I really believe that there are so many of us who have experienced so much pain and abuse at the hand of the religious Christian institution, but also at the hand of high control religion. And I believe that the more we share stories, the more we can all begin to heal.